Hello and welcome to Power Pros Podcast, episode 163. I'm your host, the Hoff, Chris Hoffman, and with me is my co-host and nemesis, Pete Mashad. Hola, hermano. We are back, of course, once again to talk about what's going on in the world of Nintendo. So that means we have some news to talk about, a few game impressions to discuss, and then we have this week's big topic, which is going to be our favorite gaming foods. <laughs> nom, nom, nom. Yeah, kind of a weird one. Favorite gaming foods. Mm-hmm. However... Before we get to that, let us kick things off with some news this week. A lot of news this week. Well, the big news this week is, you know, not necessarily great news, but Nintendo announced just a few days ago that development on Metroid Prime 4, the long-awaited Metroid Prime 4, has been basically restarted. (gasps) Say it isn't so, Huff. (laughs) It is so. Yeah, Nintendo released this video basically saying they are throwing away everything they have done on Metroid Prime 4 and restarting development from scratch. Oh my gosh. I mean, basically, it's my impression that when they announced this game back at E3 2017, which is more than a year and a half ago, it was really just that logo. That was pretty much all they had. They really hadn't started (laughs) development on it yet from what I hear. Right, and that kind of confirms it at this point. (laughs) Well, I mean, at that time, you know, they said it was going to be an all-new development team. The rumor was it was Bandai Namco. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my thought was that really makes no sense because as much as I love Japanese game (laughs) developers, they are really not known for first-person shooters, whereas Nintendo owns Retro. They have already made three great (laughs) Metroid Prime games. They are known for first-person shooters. They specialize in that genre. Why would they not just go back to Retro? And clearly, the original plan did not go very well. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's, It's kind of unfortunate, really, when you think about it. Well, I mean, it is unfortunate. But the good news is they are now bringing Retro on board to help with development. And while it does suck for those of us who've been waiting all this time for a new console Metroid game, Mm -hmm. you know, the good news is that they recognize that there is a problem and they are doing something about it. Yep. And not only that, but they told the fans about it. Yes. Yeah. Being transparent like that is definitely a huge, huge help. And it really, I think, goes a long way towards, you know, letting the fans know, you know, why there are no big updates on it. And I actually feel like this was kind of the perfect timing to do it. I mean, there's been a couple large game releases recently that didn't go so smoothly. I'm not going to name names, but (laughs) I feel like they've just gotten a lot of bad press. And I honestly feel like at this very moment, Nintendo just got a ton of good press for announcing that they were essentially delaying this game. Yeah, that's what they announced. And I mean, it could have been a lot worse. I mean, when they started talking about this, I was like, oh man, they're not going to say the game is canceled, are they? That was kind of <laughs> what I was thinking when they started talking about how you know the development wasn't moving along smoothly. Right. I was like, oh boy, this could be really, really bad news. <laughs> but no, that did not happen. So you know, I'm definitely glad for that. And, of course, I think it's obvious to anyone who's been playing games for a long time, but it's much better to have a game be delayed for, you know, even a couple of years than to have it come out sooner and not be very good. Right. And I think, honestly, you kind of said this earlier, but I think everyone kind of wanted to see Retro Studios doing this again. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably very true. I mean, they really haven't, I was thinking about this, they really haven't made a bad game to date mm-hmm. you know the obviously they did some of the latest dk games yeah but yeah i mean i i just don't see why you wouldn't go back to them to do this sequel 
Yeah, I mean, it's a very good question. Supposedly, they've been working on something else these last several years, and hopefully we will eventually get to see what the heck it is they have been so busy with. <laughs> but yeah, it's really great to have them back working with Metroid Prime, that's for sure. Yeah, and then, I don't know, this is totally rumor mill, but you know, the fact that there is probably a version of Metroid Prime Trilogy floating around out there, that could get ported to Switch, hopefully, before this new one comes out. I'm actually in the market for that. I would be in for that if they did that. Yeah, I mean, I haven't heard anything credible that says that's true, but I would love to see it happen myself. It would be great to have an opportunity to play through that game again on a system that is not the Wii, you know? I think that would be really, really convenient, and it would certainly help to soothe that extra-long wait for the next full installment. Yeah, no kidding. The other good thing about this delay, the good thing about making sure that this game is actually really good and lives up to everyone's expectations is that, you know, Metroid has kind of had a bit of a rocky history on consoles. And it's like, if this game came out and it wasn't that good, if it got, you know, critically panned or it flopped out there, that honestly could be the end of the Metroid franchise. So I think that by going back to the drawing board and making sure that the game is as good as it possibly can be is definitely the right move. Yeah, I think you're right. As hard as that is to say, I think there is a potential of that, at least on a console. So, yeah. Well, I mean, that's all they've got right now. It's not like they're going to be <laughs> making a new uh, 3DS Metroid or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So Says you. And right now, when we've got only one system from Nintendo, you know, it's kind of like that or nothing. Yeah, no kidding. So, obviously, the bad news is, you know, we were just talking about this a couple episodes ago. Will we be seeing Metroid Prime 4 this year? No, we absolutely are not going to be <laughs> seeing it this year. But on the other hand, it means we will be seeing it eventually, and hopefully it will be much, much better than it would have been if it had been rushed out the door. Yeah, and uh, honestly, I for one can wait. Yeah, there's going to be plenty of other good stuff coming in 2019. Yeah, I already have way too many Switch games. (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you there. Well, moving along then, one of those Switch games I am currently spending a ton of time with is still Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, and in the last few days, we got the release of the DLC character Piranha Plant. Yes, the character that no one really wanted. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's very (laughs) true. Nonetheless, he is here, he is playable now, he is instantly available in all modes if you, uh, you know, bought and registered the game already and entered that code. And yeah, he's a you know certainly a interesting and different character. Have you had a chance to play with him yet? No, I was gonna say I haven't played him yet. Um, what can you tell me about it? Well, the first thing that I noticed when I started playing as him is that he feels kind of weak. Like his defense seems really really low. I started playing through classic mode with him. That's really all I did was just play through classic mode, and it felt like I was taking a ton of damage. Like before I knew it, I was in you know pretty bad jeopardy. I mean maybe it's because a lot of the battles are two-on-one battles or three-way battles, but I was like, oh man, this guy's defense is pretty darn low. Hmm. Uh, Once I sort of got accustomed to that and made sure that, you know, I wasn't just sucking up damage like a tank, things got a little bit better. And he certainly has an interesting assortment of special moves. You know, as you surely have seen online and with videos and stuff, his specials include his neutral spiked ball, which he'll either shoot out straight up or you can tilt the joystick and make him spit out to the side. His up special is a spinning attack. His down special is like this charge-up attack where he you know, goes into his pot, charges up, and then thrusts out. And then his side special is this poison attack, which can do some crazy, crazy, absolutely insane damage if you use it right and equip the right spirits and stuff. Sounds cool. Yeah, to be honest, I think that move is probably overpowered and will probably get nerfed in an update. <laughs> 
But yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting at the moment. So you're saying that it packs a wallop? Yes, yes, it definitely does. Another interesting thing about the character is that if you play through his story in classic mode, the boss is Rathalos. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's the uh, classic battle of plant versus dinosaur. <laughs> does that mean he's an herbivore? Rathalos? I suppose it does. <laughs> On the other hand, piranha plant, definitely carnivorous. I'm not so sure how I feel about him being piranha plant versus PD piranha. Yeah, I mean, I kind of would have gone maybe PD piranha myself, since he's more of a character than just a generic piranha plant. But if it leaves you standing there shaking your fist, then I'm totally down with having it just be piranha plant. Wow. <laughs> One other thing to note is that, you know, I was kind of wondering how they would incorporate these new characters into World of Light mode. Oh, yeah. Since, you know, you usually have to fight that fighter character to unlock them in that mode. As soon as I went in, it's like Piranha Plant is unlocked. So he was instantly available for all modes <laughs> once he was added to the roster. Yeah, I actually did see that, but uh, I just didn't play with him yet. Ah, okay. Anyway... He's not, like, an amazing character from what I've experienced so far, but certainly one of the most unique additions to Smash Brothers yet. Yeah, and who doesn't love a free character, no matter what it is? <laughs> yeah, for sure. And actually, I am looking forward to a couple weeks from now when we were able to get his Amiibo. Amiibo! I'm sure he's looking forward to sitting on your shelf. <laughs> uh, without a doubt. <laughs> now, speaking of Super Smash Brothers Amiibo, did you see the reveal of those other new characters, Snake and Pokemon Trainer. I've actually not. Anything beyond what I'd expect? No, it pretty much is exactly what you would expect. <laughs> they were shown in a Smash Ultimate Guidebook that came out in Japan. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, they look absolutely great, but the poses are just absolutely based on their in-game character art, so you totally know what you're getting. It's Snake with his hand up to his ear, checking on his communicator, <laughs> and his other arm is sort of you know on his knee, and he's sort of crouching down a little bit. And then the Pokemon trainer has his arm outstretched and he's pointing and he's either trying to sick his Pokemon on someone or he's trying to battle Phoenix right in court. I don't know. <laughs> now, I feel like the Pokemon trainer will actually be pretty cool, especially if you already own the uh, associated Pokemon. Well, actually, right now there's only a Charizard amiibo out. Wow. And you know, we weren't really sure what they were going to be doing when it came to the Pokemon trainer and Squirtle and Ivysaur. We're like, is there actually going to be a Pokemon trainer himself? Will they release them of all the characters? And that's, you know, that's exactly what they're doing. They confirm there will be a separate Squirtle, a separate Ivysaur, and then a separate Pokemon trainer. Hmm. Yeah, so you'll be able to add all those to your collection, put them on the shelf alongside Charizard, and they all get to hang out together and do battle and whatever. Well, I better see a cool photo op posted to Twitter. Uh, once the uh, Amiibo come out, you can bet on it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, no word on when any of these Amiibo are coming out, but obviously I cannot wait to add them to my collection. I can't wait to steal it. <laughs> you can try. <laughs> Moving along then to a different topic, the folks over at Atlas have announced that Persona Q2 New Cinema Labyrinth is coming out in North America for the Nintendo 3DS. Not super familiar with the Persona games. I've played one, kind of. <laughs> what are your thoughts? Well, mostly, I'm just you know, sort of shocked that this game is coming out in North America at all. I mean, I guess I shouldn't be because Atlas has been known for bringing out some of its <laughs> releases well after a system's major lifespan has passed. But we really don't know about too many other 3DS games that are still coming out in North America. We know that Yokai Watch 3 is coming, Kirby is coming, Etrian Odyssey is coming out very soon. 
But other than that, there really isn't much on the upcoming list. So it's pretty nice to know there is actually one more, you know, top tier 3DS game coming out, that being this Persona Q2, and it's supposed to be out on June 4th. You're right. It's a really slow trickle on the 3DS. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 3DS has had a great life, but it is kind of going out with a slow fizzle, you could say. (laughs) Anyway, I'm not a huge Persona fan either. You know, I've dabbled with the games a little bit, but I've never really gotten into them as much as I wanted to. But obviously it does have a huge fan base. And this is basically a Persona-themed dungeon crawler that features characters from past Persona games. And, of course, is the sequel to Persona Q, which hit 3DS a few years ago here in North America. And not only is there a regular physical edition for $40 that includes the game plus these little buttons that showcase characters from Persona 3, Persona 3 Portable, Persona 4, and Persona 5, but on top of that, they are also going to be selling a premium edition of the game for $70, and that includes an art book, a deck of cards, and a plush toy of Kurumaru the dog, five-inch tall plush toy. And that's in addition to, you know, the game and the buttons and everything from the regular version. So they kind of are really going all out with this uh, possibly final major 3DS release. Oh, that's cool. Good to see the 3DS getting some love. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if this is necessarily going to be one on my must-have list, but I certainly approve of them bringing out here. I certainly approve of it getting the royal treatment. And hey, with Joker coming to Smash Brothers, maybe this is just a thing that Nintendo fans need to get into the spirit before his arrival. Yeah, who knows? Maybe this is part of the agreement of getting Joker in Smash Brothers. <laughs> well, I doubt. This game has been in the works for a long time. It's been out in Japan for several months. But yeah, who knows what other Persona titles will be coming to uh, Nintendo systems. Remains to be seen. Indeed it does. Now, speaking of portable Nintendo games, Nintendo has just recently announced that they have another mobile title in the works. It is Dr. Mario World. Yeah, this kind of came out of left field, right? Well, it came out, I guess, along with part of their quarterly financial report. That was sort of where it was couched in. But yeah, I mean, we didn't know anything about this title before, and now we find out, hey, there is a brand new game coming to mobile devices this summer. And, you know, I was kind of hoping it might be a new spin on Super Mario World, only, like, instead of stomping on the Goombas, you were doing surgery on them. But, uh, no, indeed, it is just a new Dr. Mario puzzle game. It'll be free to play with in-app purchases. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this seems pretty logical to me. You know, of all the franchises Nintendo could, you know, kind of pull from their stable to be on the cell phone, it feels like this is a good choice. I suppose. I mean, it's definitely not some sort of crazy out there who would have expected it sort of thing. But my question is, you know, will it really do anything to improve upon the traditional Dr. Mario gameplay? What's this world in the title mean? Hmm. You know, I don't know, but I have a feeling maybe there's some multiplayer going on in it. Yeah, that's very, very likely, I would say. And, you know, I've never really been a big fan of controlling Dr. Mario with a touchscreen. It's not really a new idea. They've had stuff like this before. Like in some of the brain training and brain age games, they've had this virus buster mode, which is basically a tap and drag and drop version of Dr. Mario. That's right. I guess for me, this is interesting to see, you know, Nintendo kind of tackle the puzzle genre on a smartphone. They they really haven't done that yet. Uh, No, I guess that's true. They really haven't. 
I mean, I sort of feel like I know what to expect if they just go the virus buster up, but maybe they'll surprise me. Maybe it'll be something very different. Yeah, and I feel like it's a good enough IP that is kind of, you know, loved by all. Dr. Mario is even well known by like my parents sort of thing. So mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like I feel like it is a big enough brand that you know, it might just get some interest beyond the usual crowd. You, know, you make a very good point there. I mean, I am a big Dr. Mario fan myself, so I'm certainly looking forward to trying it out. But my mom is an even bigger Dr. Mario fan. <laughs> and I've tried to get her into some of Nintendo's offerings on mobile, and she's been very resistant to it. <laughs> but, you know, I have a feeling that maybe seeing a free-to-play Dr. Mario game will, you know, totally make her eyes light up and totally be up her alley. And she might finally sit down and start playing that instead of, you know, words with friends or whatever. <laughs> She just doesn't want you saying creepy things in Mitomo. <laughs> they canceled that game, remember? <laughs> I meant back in the day. Anyway, it is sort of an interesting announcement. And like you said, it might indeed open up Nintendo's IPs to a whole new audience. So we shall see where it goes when it hits in the coming months. I'm excited. Now, this announcement kind of comes on the heels of announcement of, I guess, Mario Kart Tour was supposed to come out by the end of March 2019 in Japan. It turns out now that it's delayed until summer. So I don't know what that means for us here in the U.S., but uh, there is some negative to this positive. Okay, I actually kind of missed out on that part of the announcement. That does make a lot of sense since that was indeed the next game we were expecting to see from Nintendo on mobile. So being supplanted by Dr. Mario. Okay, all right, I guess we'll have to wait a little bit longer to get our Mario Kart on on our mobile devices. However, while we are on the subject of portable gaming from Nintendo, did you hear the rumor that, you know, according to the Nikkei Financial Newspaper... Nintendo will be releasing a smaller, cheaper, more portable version of the Switch. I did read this. It seems like every three months we get a rumor like this, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's not exactly a very long reach. It is a very obvious thing for them to do. And we've even said here on the podcast that we thought it was something that Nintendo was going to do. So really, this seems like a (laughs) no-brainer. You could say this that Nintendo is redesigning its current hardware, and you're going to be right because they're always doing it. <laughs> right. That's why these articles come out every three months, because they <laughs> just assume that'll happen at some point. So, honestly, this really feels more like a when is it going to happen than if it is going to happen. Right. But, you know, it's uh, interesting to see that, you know, this article seems to be stating, oh, that's not just in development. They are on the verge of releasing it possibly this year. So, I guess we'll see. Yeah, you know, sometimes these things come out and they actually are driven by facts. And I do have a feeling maybe this one is. Sometimes it comes out a lot sooner than people even expect. Like, you know, I'm not going to go wild here, but it's possible that this could be in the stores by the end of March. Eh, It's possible. You never know. I wouldn't really expect that, but I certainly do expect them to do a revised Switch sometime. So I think it's, like I said, just a matter of waiting for it and seeing when we get it. Yeah, and I think especially because it's not actually new, new hardware, it's just sort of a revision of what's currently out there. Yep. I think that, you know, it could go under the radar and all of a sudden be in stores sooner than we think. It's very possible. All right, before we change gears here, Chris, I just wanted to touch on one thing. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so it actually is the end of an era today. Oh, so it is. So it is. The Wii Shop channel is no more. That's right. After about 12 years or so, Wii Shop Channel finally closed down. You can no longer download new games. That's right. Did you spend any time uh, saving games off the channel? 
I actually did. I discovered that on my Wii U, I still had about $10 worth of points on there when I would go into <laughs> Wii mode. Now, my actual Wii system, you know, I was pretty confident in that, but it turns out on my Wii U, I still had some points to use up. So I went ahead and I downloaded and purchased And Yet It Moves, which for some reason I did not already own <laughs> on my other hardware. And that was a big shame because that's actually one of my, you know, probably top 10 WiiWare games. So I made sure that I actually owned and have that on my system. And then I just downloaded a few things, you know, a couple games that I you know, had to delete in the past to make more space, like some Neo Geo games and stuff like that. So, yeah, I did what I could. What about you? Yeah, same. And then I realized how clunky that shop channel was and that you have to kind of go into every single one and see if you've had it on your system. Yeah. But let's not talk bad about it. It served a purpose. I saved Muscle March off of it (laughs) and a few other great classics that I realized didn't have downloaded like you to my Wii U. Kind of save them off the Titanic before it goes down. Well, the good news is that while you can't make any new purchases, for the time being, you can still re-download anything you've already bought. But still, I guess we should pour one out. Pour out a cold glass of milk for the Wii Shop channel. (laughs) Milk indeed. All right then, why don't we move along to some game impressions? Specifically, Pete, I understand that you have been playing the artistic 2D platformer Gris. I have, and, and I've been struggling to figure out how to say that name, because um, <laughs> they don't actually explain it in the game. Well, I don't know if that's correct or not, but yeah, it's G-R-I-S, and it's a game that came out last year. I have not had a chance to play it myself, but I've heard some very good things about it. And Pete, I am curious what your impressions are and what you think of the game. Yeah, I mean, kind of like you said, it's a stunningly beautiful platformer starring a young woman. There's not a ton of story in the game, but uh, you can kind of get that she's struggling to bring color back into the world okay there's really not a lot of if any dialogue you just kind of start playing and you realize that there's like a little bit of grief in the beginning Mm -hmm. and the color kind of runs out of the world you know the beginning the controls start very basic you know you're only able to jump really for the first i'd say hour of the game oh boy (laughs) <laughs> maybe less than that you know you think that things like how, how can this mechanic work but uh, it does and as you're playing through you realize that uh, you need to collect these star pieces that basically form constellations that let you climb onto new things huh. yeah it's kind of a hard mechanic to explain but yeah it's like essentially there's a gap or something and it's missing and you'll see two twinkly spots and you'll know that you need two star pieces they don't really have names so i'm just making that up (laughs) but yeah you need these little things that will fill in those gaps and make a little constellation that you can walk on yeah i mean one thing i'd heard about the game is that it really doesn't have any enemies it doesn't really have your traditional you know fall into a bottomless pit and die platforming deaths but that it did have these puzzle elements and so i was kind of curious how that all unfolded and i guess that explains it huh Yeah, I mean, that's it. It's really interesting because the level design is great in the sense that you're almost playing... I mean, no joke, if you put this game on a wall in a museum and just kind of left a controller there, like, people would think it was an art piece. It's, like, that beautiful and that well, like, animated, and the soundtrack is really good. It's just sort of, like, hypnotic. 
it's very atmospherical. It kind of gives you the sense of whatever this woman is going through. And, you know, the camera kind of zooms in and out where it chooses, but it's very well thought through and all the design is very thoughtful. Anyway, like as I was saying, you, you kind of bring the color back into this world. So at the end of the first area, you bring red back. Hmm. And then the next level you're playing through, and when I say level, it never really says, like, here, level two or anything. You just kind of keep going. But it basically tells you red came back to the world, and then in that area, everything is red. And, you know, it kind of looks like Mars or something. And You learn an ability, eventually, that lets you turn into a block. Your outfit that you're wearing, it looks kind of like a cloak. It all of a sudden becomes a square, and you kind of thwomp down. And, oh, Kirby uh, style, huh? Yeah, and that becomes a mechanic that you use to get through the game. But all the puzzles that I've encountered are really well thought through. Even though these levels are really pretty and very artistic, there's never really a moment where you're like, I don't know what I can do here, or I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. It's very intuitive. They don't really sacrifice the gaming for the art, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's cool. That's definitely good to know. And so I take it you are very much enjoying it so far. I've heard that the game is uh, very relaxing. It is. It's kind of an experience. Like I said, it would honestly feel right at home in a museum. Yeah, I mean, that's really the impression I've got from the screenshots and stuff I've seen so far. Yeah, I mean, I actually took some video on my Switch because I just was like, man, like, I don't think people would understand what this game looks like in motion. So I think if you're on the fence, I would definitely watch a couple of videos and just kind of see if that's something you'd like. But yeah, like I said, it's almost like an interactive art piece. And for that, I actually really enjoy it. All right. Neat. Definitely sounds worthwhile. Yeah. Now, as for myself, on the other hand, I haven't been playing anything new, but I did finally, at long last, start playing the physical limited run games version of Golf Story. <laughs> I saw that the other day and I was like, yes, he's finally playing it. Yes, at last I am. You know, I waited and waited and, you know, I would have played it late last year, but I was so busy and then Smash came out. But now I am finally playing it. So even though this game was originally released on Switch back in 2017, here <laughs> I am finally playing it in physical form in 2019. <laughs> and what do you think? Well, I mean, I really don't have a whole lot new to add that everyone hasn't already said. Yes, indeed, it is quirky and fun and entertaining and is much, much more than just your typical golf experience. And I really, really like that. <laughs> I think it also has a really very solid 16-bit presentation. <laughs> what do you think of the dialogue? Um, the dialogue, yeah, that certainly falls into that uh, quirky and fun category. I haven't encountered anything that's too off the wall so far. You know, I've been told I should keep my eye out for some perhaps unusual Australian phrases, but I don't think I've noticed anything too weird so far. <laughs> yeah, I, it's just kind of charming, that's all. But yeah, I mean, so far the golf mechanics are really solid and has lots of fun little challenges and discoverables everywhere. And, you know, it's neat that you can find new stuff just by, like, you know, throwing down your ball and, uh, you know, taking a swing and just knocking it into wherever or hitting a balloon or knocking it into an animal or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, there's just lots of really cool stuff like that. And so I would encourage anyone who's kind of curious about this game, like I was, you know, it's definitely worthwhile. If you think that it might be up your alley, it probably is. Yeah, I mean, you really don't need to be into golf at all to enjoy the story or and enjoy the game in general of Golf Story. Yeah, I'd say that's pretty much true. However, I do wish it did have a little bit more tutorial. Like, there are some things about golf I don't really know. Like, 
I don't really know when it comes to putting how to compensate for slope. I don't really know how to compensate for wind when I'm hitting the ball. Mm -hmm. I don't really know how to judge how far the ball might bounce. And there really aren't any tutorials I've encountered so far that tell you anything about that. And I just really wish that stuff was in there. I think it would make me a much better player. And so, you know, when I'm playing a nine-hole course... You know, it's really easy for me to just mess up at some points. Like, oh, well, now I got to start all over again because I totally blew it. I just wish there were some more tutorials for those of us who are kind of golf impaired. Sounds like you and I need to go hit the links. <laughs> I guess so. Also, one interesting thing about this physical version is that it includes a manual, but the manual is not for golf story. It's the manual for golf. <laughs> okay, that's pretty awesome. Now, I haven't even encountered golf. Is that like a mini game you play within Golf Story? <laughs> I kind of don't want to ruin it for you. But uh, yeah, you basically find a game console and play an 8-bit version of golf. Okay. I mean, I know that's what it is. And I knew that they were even selling it through limited run games on <laughs> you know vintage NES cartridges. Yeah. But I was very confused as to why that was the manual I got in the box instead of <laughs> a golf story manual. So, okay, that explains it. I'll get there soon enough, I imagine. Yeah, and I think that is pretty funny. I mean, of course, it probably would have been nice to have a golf story manual. <laughs> yeah. But golf in general is kind of a funny in-game joke. Okay, well, I haven't got to that part yet, but I am definitely looking forward to it. And I'm glad that I finally got around to playing this game. Mm-hmm. About time. Yes, indeed. All right, why don't we move along to some listener mail. First up, we have a tweet from at Alex Osborne UK who writes, would you guys ever think about doing a live episode? Mm, no, uh, Hoffman is way too gassy for that. <laughs> and more importantly, we wouldn't be able to edit out all of my swearing. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think more than anything, it would just be insanely difficult to do. Yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of technical hurdles. But uh, yeah, we actually do a lot of uh, post-production work on this. So uh, because of that, because of you know our time differences and the fact that we usually end up recording this uh, fairly late at night, it's not really something that's ever crossed my mind. But uh, I mean, I guess never say never, right? Yeah, and you should uh, hear the parts that do get cut. <laughs> uh, yeah, there would be uh, adults only for sure. <laughs> Sometimes. Anyway, moving along, we got a lot of responses from our last episode where we were talking about the coolest looking gaming consoles. Oh, yeah. So we have one tweet here from at Lero who writes, I understand that the SNES design is goofy and didn't age well, but how did you both pass up the Super Famicom? I don't know. I, I personally, I didn't even think about including Japanese consoles, and that's mainly just because I'm not familiar with them. I mean, I've seen pictures, but I've not really seen them in person. Yeah, I mean, maybe we should have made that caveat when we did the episode is that we really were focusing on U.S. consoles. I mean, I guess there wasn't anything preventing us from doing <laughs> Japanese consoles. But yeah, I mean, that was where my mindset was also. I mean, it probably wouldn't have made my top five coolest looking even if I had been thinking about it. But um, yeah, I was mostly focusing on the North American stuff, I admit. I mean, I might have said the mirrored Panasonic GameCube thing that came out, <laughs> but uh, probably not. I mean, if we had been doing Japanese ones, I might have actually put the original Famicom on my least cool list instead of the Super <laughs> NES. Yeah, it's kind of funky looking. But uh, yeah, I admit that's just not where my mind was. Uh, then we got another tweet from at Legendary Whizball, who writes, <laughs> My favorite is the Super Famicom. Classic design. N64 is also pretty decent. 
Worst is NES. Big gray box. <laughs> well, it's each his own. Yeah, that's what I say. I mean, personally, I love the look of the NES. It is indeed a big gray box, but for some reason, I still feel like that holds up well. I feel like that holds up better than the Super NES. It holds up better than the Famicom. I think it holds up better than the N64, actually. But again, to each their own. And again, you know, it didn't make my top five or anything like that. But it probably wasn't too far outside it, to be honest. Yeah, I think the straight lines of it really kind of help it maintain its level of like coolness even over the years yeah i think i tend to agree then we have a tweet from at silent underscore k who writes micro is beautiful sfc wins if this was a controller discussion (laughs) yeah i mean i'm kind of sad i didn't put the game boy micro because i absolutely do think that's a stunning device and if there was six i probably would have had it on there as for controller discussion yeah i mean honestly the sfc yeah, Super Famicom absolutely is right up there. Yeah, I mean, I have to agree with him in both cases. Obviously, Micro was on my list. I don't know if I'd give the Super Famicom controller number one, but I would certainly have it, you know, number two at worst. So, yeah, I definitely have to agree with Silent underscore K. Maybe we'll have to do a controller episode. Perhaps so. Perhaps so. And now we have a letter from listener Brian Booth who writes, Hey guys, what an interesting, unique topic. I don't think I've ever heard that covered on any of the other gaming podcasts I listen to. It's great that you guys keep coming up with fresh conversations almost four years in. I can't believe it's been that long, but I think I speak for all the listeners, long-time and newcomers alike, when I say that each episode gets even better. Uh, I'm starting to think this Brian Booth character is you in disguise. Case in point, the dramatic reading this week was fantastic, and Pete's sign-off was spot-on. See, if it was me, I wouldn't have said that. (laughs) I have a soft spot for the Super Show, definitely more than the Super Mario Bros. 3 and Mario World-themed follow-ups. All respect to Bob Hoskins as an actor, though not necessarily for this particular role, but Captain Lou will always be the definitive live-action Mario for me. It's hilarious to me how the magazine writers must have known so little about the show at time of publication since they mentioned Wart appearing in the show. I think it would be remembered as much more of a classic if that had been the case. I definitely feel for Chris's dilemma when it comes to the Super NES. It's definitely not the sexiest console in gaming history, but I suppose that just goes to show that it really is what's on the inside that counts. I wonder if you'd be so bold as to venture into the non-Nintendo world of consoles to tell us what you think the most and least cool-looking systems are from other developers. So to answer this one, as for the coolest system... I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of game systems out there from other manufacturers that could be considered traditionally cool. I mean, a lot of the PlayStation hardware looks really cool. I really like the Vita. The PlayStation 4 looks pretty great. But I'm not sure there's really one that stands out really head and shoulders above the others. Nostalgically speaking, I would probably go with the Sega Genesis. Just something about that shape and that black and red color palette and the fact that, you know, even though it had some, you know, weird little design quirks, they were actually, you know, very, very functional. There was actually a reason for all of them. Mm. You know, I kind of want to go with that one, but it's really hard to say. If we're talking current stuff, I guess I'd say the Vita. If we're talking classic, I'd go with the Genesis. And as for the least cool, I'm going to go with the TurboGrafx-16. <laughs> it's kind of boxy and has all these weird different levels and angles like the Super NES, but there's even more of them, and I really don't understand why they're there. And it has this weird, you know, sort of like a backpack on it. It looks like it should be removed and shouldn't even be there. So I'm going to say TurboGrafx-16 is the least cool. <laughs> Pete? 
You know, I haven't even really thought about this before. For some reason, I, I think Nintendo hardware is like more prone to this, but uh, I guess if I had to choose, I mean, I thought the Dreamcast was pretty cool for its time. Okay. I don't know if it really stands the test of time. I think that uh, the Xbox 360, there was something about that that kind of piqued my interest as well. Maybe I just like white consoles. I don't know. Yeah, that's definitely up there on my list too. Least cool, I would absolutely say <laughs> either the original Xbox. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that either. Or maybe the original PlayStation, which looks like the bottom of the Super Nintendo. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it does. It has those weird ridges. Well, all I can tell you that is to each their own. I think that takes care of the letters this week. And so with that wrapped up, I do believe it is time for us to take an intermission. And then when we come back, we'll discuss this week's big atop. Hold it right there, Hoffman. Is... Oh? Yeah. Oh, we've done this before. I think <laughs> I know what's going on this time. Yeah, that's right. But I'll let you tell me. I'll let you explain it. What's this all about, Pete? It's time for this week's Hassle the Hop. Aha. I had a feeling. Okay, well then, let's get over with. What do you got for me this week? All right. Dear Video Game Professor Hoffman. Yes? Can you please explain your bizarre relationship with Mr. T? <laughs> what? That's a, that's a very strange question, and I don't know what it has to do with video games or <laughs> what's in this Hassle the Hoff segment on Power Pros, but sure, why not? <laughs> sure, let's talk about Mr. T. I think the listeners want to know. Mr. T, he's an 80s icon, like a real-life superhero. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was getting Mr. T influences into the magazine even before I was part of the Nintendo Power staff. Like, you know, I was friends with a Mr. Steve Thomason, and I would, you know, talk to him about Mr. T, and uh, it would make him put Mr. T references into <laughs> the uh, Player's Pulse section. Wow. So, yeah, I was doing it even before I was on staff. That's kind of creepy. Yeah. But yeah, at my previous job, when I was at Play Magazine, I actually interviewed Mr. T for a comic book he was doing at the time. Mm. He wasn't writing the comic book, but he was the character, the star of the comic book, and he had creative approval. So I went and had lunch with Mr. T at IHOP, at the International House of Pancakes. <laughs> I gotta ask, yes. was that his choice or your choice? Well, that was his choice, yeah. Uh -huh. But, uh, yeah, I actually called up Mr. T on the phone. We set up the appointment, and he wanted to go to the Pancake House. I actually had to call him back and confirm it was IHOP because I was looking for someplace called the Pancake House, and I couldn't find one. <laughs> so I had to call him up and be like, Mr. T, you talking about IHOP? Yes. Okay, all right. I'll see you at IHOP, Mr. T. <laughs> and so we did, and we talked about comic books, and we talked about how his gold made him like Wonder Woman when he put it on, and he talked about space aliens, and he was like, you know, ain't no space alien. It's a government test of weapons, fool. <laughs> stuff like that so uh yeah i had a, a great old time bonding with the one and only mr t at uh lunch at ihop for this interview and so if i was not already a huge mr t fan at that point and so my infatuation with mr t has continued to influence my work ever since i even made a fake game with rpg maker called mr t gets a job so <laughs> I don't know if that answers all your questions, but uh, hopefully that's enough. Uh, I just feel like that was probably the best day of your life. How do you continue going <laughs> on from there? Well, you know, I just look at the picture of me and Mr. T that I keep in my wallet, and it encourages me to keep going on. <laughs> that was a good answer. All right. Well, I'm glad you approve. All right. I'll let you go to break now. 
Okay, then. In that case, let us take that intermission, and when we come back, we will discuss this week's big topic, which is our favorite gaming foods. We are back, and we are ready to discuss this week's big topic, which we are calling Delicious and Nutritious. <laughs> it is about our favorite gaming foods. Mm-hmm. I think you mean mm-mm. <laughs> that actually is what I mean. Because, I mean, this is about food. I mean, who doesn't love food? Yeah. Even virtual foods in video games. I'm getting hungry just talking about it. Yeah, and so that's why this is this week's big topic, to discuss some of those favorite gaming foods. And uh, while we're at it, I guess I will throw in a cheap plug, because you can read all about the hot dogs I came up with inspired by the NES game Pro Wrestling in an article called A Wiener Is You in the January-February 2019 issue of Nintendo Force. Wow. Yes, which you can probably order online now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you can find all about my infatuation with pro wrestling inspired hot dogs. So uh, yeah, all check right. that out. Fascinating. I might pick that up. However, that is not what we are talking about right now. We are talking about in-game video game foods, and we have picked our top 10 favorite games and the foods that are in them. So let us count down that list. Let us. Uh, get it? Let us. Haha, <laughs> I do get it. <laughs> And starting with number 10, we have Illusion of Gaia for the Super NES. And that is a game that you know, actually doesn't have any food that you see on the screen that I recall, but it does have a lot of very interesting writing talking about and describing food, not the least of which is Grandma Lola's Snail Pie with whipped cream. <laughs> Yes, early on in the game, you're talking about, mmm, you smell your grandma cooking up a delicious pie inside. It smells so good. And then later on, you find out it is snail pie. <laughs> with whipped cream. That sounds not so good. It does not sound very good. And then later on, you know, there's some joke in the game like, oh, yes, I had your grandma's pie. It's very distinct, isn't it? <laughs> but in addition to that, there's one part early on where you get thrown in a dungeon and you find this loaf of bread lying around, and when you pick it up, the description is, the bread is hard. It's the worst thing he's ever tasted. <laughs> and then shortly after that, you find what they describe as a large, yummy roast leg of yak. <laughs> that kind of makes me want to yak. <laughs> And, you know, I've heard people sort of complain about the translation and localization of Illusion of Gaia, but all that stuff I think is great. And while I wouldn't say it's particularly appetizing, it definitely is one of my 
favorite descriptions of food in any video game I've ever played. Wow, that's high praise coming from you. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> well, at number nine, we have Super Mario Brothers. Yes, the classic. And even since the very beginning, they've been snacking on mushrooms of all varieties. Yes, yes they have. Mushrooms have always been a very important part of Mario's diet and a very important component of getting through the game. <laughs> you know, it's funny because like you never actually see him eat a mushroom. Like he just kind of bumps into it. Mm -hmm. That's true. But really what he's doing is eating mushrooms. Presumably, presumably. I mean, there is that art on the Japanese version of Super Mario Brothers 1 where he's just like holding that mushroom in his hand. But presumably, yes, he is snarfing them down to <laughs> get extra lives and grow to gargantuan size. Yeah, I don't think I've even seen, like, yeah, like an artist's depiction of that. But, uh, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> There's got to be fan art of it out there. I'm sure there is. There has to be, but I, I just can't think. Nothing pops in my head. But anyway, um, yeah, I just think the idea of Mario eating all these mushrooms and Luigi eating all these mushrooms and I guess now Toad and Toadette, which is kind of cannibalistic, I guess, eating mushrooms, but <laughs> they're doing it. Yes, yes, they are. And, uh, you know, in the later games, they've got all kinds of mushrooms. You know, they got mushrooms that turn them into bees and turn them into ghosts and turn them into springs and turn them into all kinds of different forms. So, yeah, all kinds of uh, different and uh, presumably very flavorful mushrooms. <laughs> we should hope. I mean, personally, it doesn't make me hungry for mushrooms. I'm still fairly repulsed by mushrooms in real life. But certainly, <laughs> as far as uh, in-game edibles go... It's hard to deny the importance of the mushrooms in Super Mario Brothers. If you saw a horse eating a mushroom, would that just be the worst thing ever? I would let the horse keep it. I would stay far away. <laughs> and just remember, kids, when you're playing Super Mario Brothers, stay away from those poison mushrooms. Those are no good. That's right. Well, on to our next entry then. We have the Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney series. What? There's food in this? <laughs> there is indeed. They aren't power-ups or anything like that, but, you know, food comes up an awful lot. And I actually have to blame the third Ace Attorney game, Ace Attorney Trials and Tribulations, the bad guy attorney in that, Godo. He is a coffee addict, and he is always chugging coffee while he is in the courtroom, you know, battling Phoenix Wright. And I don't think I really drank coffee until... I played that game. I blame that game for making me want to drink coffee and enjoying coffee. That's funny. I mean, there are triggers like that. So interesting uh, observation there, Hoff. Yeah, I am 100% serious. <laughs> for me, it was Twin Peaks, but uh, that's another story. <laughs> and then in addition to the coffee, you know, there's the you know constant mention of burgers in the game. Uh, Maya is always hungry for burgers, although in the Japanese version, she was always hungry for ramen. <laughs> and of course, that is a uh, obvious uh, you know, bone of contention for some people that they localize ramen into burgers. And so, you know, they don't really have burger shops. They're all going into ramen shops and stuff like that. And Ace Attorney 4, there's a whole case having to do with ramen, which they couldn't really turn into burgers for the U.S. because it would be very, very obvious it was not a burger stand. But uh, <laughs> I digress. I mean, who doesn't like a good ramen? Who doesn't like a good ramen burger? That's true. They've combined the two now. <laughs> I'm sure it's been done. I'm sure it's been done. It has, and I've eaten one. How was it? <laughs> kind of exactly what you'd think. <laughs> I can't even begin to guess. <laughs> Regardless, I'm a fan of both, and I'm sure Ace Attorney has played no small part in that. All right, Hoffman, what's next on the list? 
Well, next up at number seven, we have the Shantae series. Oh, Shantae. And that has a few very interesting foodstuffs in it. Not the least of which is the fact that you can acquire monster milk and super monster milk in Shantae and the Pirate's Curse. I know a thing or two about milk. (laughs) Yes. Yes, so do I. But this milk, it is dropped by all manner of different enemies in the game. And, you know, to be honest, we don't really know where it comes from. I mean, in the game, it already shows up in these bottles and it's already, you know, ready for you to drink. That proposes a lot of questions. So, I mean, is the milk coming out of the monsters? Is it something <laughs> the monsters were preparing to drink and they were just holding on to these bottles before you slew them and then took their nice little bottles of milk? I mean, that kind of seems likely. I mean, it's like you. You're always carrying a bottle of milk, aren't you? Oh, all the time. <laughs> so presumably, if somebody beat you up, you would drop a bottle of milk and they'd take it. Mm, it's very, very possible. Yes, indeed. <laughs> But yeah, that's exactly what happens in the Shantae game. You uh, get the milk that way. I mean, you don't ever have to like go out and like milk an enemy to get it. It's not like, <laughs> uh, you know, Star Wars Episode Eight or anything like that. <laughs> wow. But uh, yeah, you get monster milk and it uh, increases your attack damage. It's uh, very useful for boss fights, in fact. And it's delicious. <laughs> well, I can't vouch for that. That's, uh, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, there's also a delicious ham that is an important plot point in Shantae and the Pirate's Curse. And then in Shantae Half-Genie Hero, you acquire these gator steaks. And you actually encounter these, like, engineer alligator creatures. They're, like, wearing glasses and hats and stuff. And, you know, they attack you in one of the early levels of the game. And if you attack them with fire magic, it basically turns them into a gator steak. (laughs) I mean, it makes sense. It checks out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of disturbing when you think about it. It's like, oh, yeah, this guy, he, he wears clothes and a hat, and now I guess I'm going to eat him as a health <laughs> power-up? But, okay, yeah. I mean, it's also used for some side quest as well. But, yeah, you uh, get to collect and consume and trade gator steaks. <laughs> it sounds like, uh, ah, fiddlesticks. Yes, I suppose so. It also works as an exclamation. <laughs> gator steaks. Ah, gator steaks. <laughs> Moving on to number six, we have the NES Classic DuckTales. Ah, yes. And I know what you're going to say on this one. Basically, the health pickups in that game were desserts. You would restore your health by acquiring ice cream and cake. Now, that's kind of random when you think about it, because, like, was that really a big part of the show? I don't really know. I wasn't really that familiar with the show at all. But at the time, usually in 8-bit video games, if you were going to restore your health, it would be like apples or meat or something like <laughs> yeah. that. So for it to be ice cream and cake, you know, I thought that was uh, you know, very unique and uh, certainly made me hungry. Yeah, it's making me hungry right now. But yeah, you'd just be you know, walking through the environments and uh, you know, your health might be low. And suddenly, look, I found some ice cream in a treasure chest. <laughs> or suddenly, out of nowhere, look, a cake just appeared out of midair. And once in a while, you'd even find Mrs. Beakley, like, you know, standing up on a platform somewhere. And she's like, just going to rain down a shower of desserts from above <laughs> to fill up your life bar. Yeah, and kids, if you ever find soft serve ice cream in a treasure chest, leave it. I don't know. If it's still frozen, I'd say it's good. Yeah. <laughs> game on (laughs) why not (laughs) i don't know that sounds sketchy it hasn't melted yet i'd say for sure that sounds sketchy as heck (laughs) says you (laughs) that's where we differ okay then let us move along to number five 
For number five, we have Xenoblade Chronicles 2. And in that game, there are actually all kinds of food items and recipes that you can acquire. There are more than 150 of them in total. Wow, that seems intense. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these you only see in text. There is no visible icon for them, but there are like 25 drinks, 29 meat dishes, 24 seafood dishes, 25 vegetable dishes, 28 desserts, and more. And a lot of these, you don't really know what they are. Like, these are foods that are unique to the Xenoblade Chronicles world, but they have these names that sound really interesting and would make me, like, think, I really want to eat this. This sounds really good. I want to know the recipe for this. (laughs) So it had, you know, some normal stuff like dumplings and noodle soup and something they called the Tasty Sausage as well as a nice array of smoothies and teas and coffees. Then there's like something called Twinkle Juice. (laughs) I don't know what Twinkle Juice is, but it sounds appetizing to me. Yeah, it weirdly does. There's something called a Rainbow Parfait. There's something called Champs Churros, which, I mean, I know what churros are. Churros sound good, so Champs Churros must be even better. (laughs) Uh, Something called Neon Cookies. A Cinnabon roll, not a Cinnabon roll, for copyright reasons, I suppose. <laughs> but those sound very tasty. Something called a Snowbake Cheesecake and a Cherry Cheese Mousse. And all that stuff just makes me want to go out and consume lots and lots of calories. <laughs> go down to the Pancake House and just start eating. <laughs> or the dessert bar. <laughs> but yeah, either way, yeah, Xenoblade Chronicles 2 definitely gets my appetite going. You know, Chris, you probably should look into uh, seeing if Monolith Soft would license you the ability to make a Xenoblade Chronicles 2 cookbook. Maybe, maybe. I mean, so far, my specialty really only lies in hot dogs right now, but I'll have to think about that. I've heard you're a culinary whiz. Well, if you remember my Cooking with Power article in NP where I made a finger sandwich with my own finger, then you know that's not true. <laughs> Regardless, moving on to our next one, coming in at number four. Actually, this one's kind of weird. This is sort of a tie. We are combining two series into one because we couldn't really decide whether we should give this to Super Smash Brothers or give it to the Kirby series. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They do share a lot of foodstuffs. Yes, yes, they do. Apparently, Sakurai is just as much of a culinary enthusiast as I am. (laughs) He seems to just love food. Yeah, he can't keep himself away from that super spicy curry. Yeah, the super spicy curry and the Maxim tomato are probably the two most iconic food items in either Smash Brothers or the Kirby series. Yeah, I really want to know what a Maxim tomato tastes like. (laughs) I don't know. I'm not really a big fan of actual tomatoes in real life but a maxim tomato if it restores your health that much it's got to be pretty good right i just imagine i mean i've eaten a lot of tomatoes in my day and none of them have restored my health mm-hmm. so i can't imagine what that feels like i don't know but it's probably uh, sweet and very tasty <laughs> indeed coupled with the super spicy curry which actually makes you shoot flames out of your face <laughs> yes yes it does i'm a big fan of curry in real life especially japanese curry uh, but none of it has ever made me shoot fire out of my mouth. But, you know, even if I knew it did, I'd probably still try it. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I might pass on that. Anyway, in addition to those two, there's just tons of other things in both games. I mean, I think 
you know, it changes a lot of times in Smash Brothers, but there's usually like, you know, 28 to 30 different food items in each game. And they range from everything from like cheese and pie and donuts and apples to baked and eggs and chocolate bars, corn dogs, <laughs> steaks, pizza, yeah. turkeys. And of course, we can't forget the milk. Yep. No, you can't forget the milk. Yeah, what makes me laugh about the Smash Brothers food is that it's always like high-res two-dimensional art. <laughs> like inexplicably. It's just like, why is there like a bowl of ramen over there just two-dimensional, just chilling? Well, I don't have an answer to that, but uh, I mean, certainly having a wide variety of health pickups is something I have always appreciated. So, you know, I like seeing all that stuff in there. And, you know, Kirby is really no different. It's got a whole bunch of different foodstuffs. I mean, starting with, I think, uh, Kirby Superstar, which is where they really introduced all these different things you could acquire. And it's just fun. It's just fun to pick that stuff up. And, again, tends to make you rather hungry. Now, something tells me Sakurai is a big foodie, but you wouldn't know it because he weighs like 90 pounds. <laughs> well, I'm sure that all the hard work he puts in causes him to work up quite an appetite. That would be my guess. Yeah, no kidding. Okay, well, moving on to the next one. At number three, we have the Legend of Zelda series. Ah, yes. Lon Lon milk. <laughs> yes. Has the Lon Lon milk. Has all kinds of milk. Milk is a big thing in the Zelda series. So we've got Lon Lon milk in Ocarina of Time. And, of course, we have the infamous milk bar in Majora's Mask that sells the <laughs> Chateau Romani. That's right. In Majora's Mask 3D, they even add the mystery milk which uh, I'm really certain is not on the up and up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that sounds dangerous. Yeah, yeah. I think, is that the one that like turns into moldy milk if you don't deliver it in time? Yeah, I think it's the way of keeping you from uh, just dilly-dallying instead of going on your quest. Yeah, yeah, don't drink the moldy milk, kids. <laughs> uh, but then there's also premium milk that you can acquire in A Link Between Worlds. Ah, that's right. So milk does have a big tie-in into the Legend of Zelda world. Yeah, yeah, there is all kinds of different milk to acquire. And uh, yes, Link is not old enough for other kinds of beverages, but uh, he can certainly have all kinds, all kinds of uh, special types even, of milk. <laughs> uh, but there's other food from the Legend of Zelda series, right? Yes, yes there is. One that uh, you know has always made me pretty hungry is the pumpkins. There <laughs> yeah. is this pumpkin soup in Twilight Princess. Right. I mean, you can probably relate to that very well, Pete, because it is the big Yeti who is making the pumpkin soup. <laughs> you know, the pumpkin soup in general does always sound delicious when you hear him talk about it in the game, right? Yeah, yeah. Indeed it does. And I've had pumpkin soup in real life. I tend to enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, I guess I have too. It's a tasty soup. It is. So there's that pumpkin soup in Twilight Princess. Then there's also the pumpkin soup that you have to deliver in Skyward Sword. There's also like that whole, you know, lumpy pumpkin place. Pumpkins are sort of an obsession in Skyward Sword, it seems. Yeah, that's right. I think that's kind of what pops in my mind the most of the uh, pumpkin soup encounters of Zelda. Yeah, so lots of pumpkin-themed stuff in the Zelda games as well as the milk. Uh, but then, you know, possibly, you know, the biggest food-related thing in Zelda is with Breath of the Wild that introduced the cooking. Oh, yeah, that's right. I mean, there's so many things you can cook in this game. And, you know, some of the basic things, they sound kind of boring or maybe meh or maybe even <laughs> gross. But some of the stuff, you know, the more complex recipes, they sound delicious. Like, yeah. you know, meat and chicken curry, seafood paella, various kinds of omelets, 
meat and rice bowls, pilaf stews, steaks, skewers, crepes, fruitcake, pumpkin pie, carrot cake, apple pie. Yeah, it just sounds absolutely delicious. And, you know, you're in there, you're playing the game, and it's like, oh, man, I got some tough enemies to fight. I need to power up. But, you know, while you're powering up, it's like, you know what? I could really go over some apple pie right now. (laughs) (laughs) Me, I'm a fan of uh, dubious food. (laughs) That is definitely not on my list of things that I would want to try, and certainly I do not find appetizing, but yes, the dubious food is indeed in there. (laughs) But you're right, when you get down to the nitty-gritty, there are some pretty elaborate-sounding foods in this game. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, on to number two then, and that game is Final Fight, the 16-bit beat-em-up classic. Now wait a minute, you're probably thinking, there's no food in Final Fight. I don't know. Anyone who plays Final Fight knows all about the food. I mean, (laughs) that, to me, is one of the highlights of the game. I mean, it's a video game tradition. That's how you replenish your health in classic video games is you, you know, find food, you eat it, it replenishes your health bar. But, you know, it never really has seemed more prominent than in Final Fight where you just, you know, you're walking along and your health is low. And what do you do? You punch open a trash can or an oil drum. (laughs) And what do you find? meat you find street meat (laughs) and you just eat that meat or whatever it is out of the garbage can or the oil drum and mm, mm, good yeah i've always had a a kind of an issue with that like that's kind of along the lines of eating soft serve out of a treasure chest maybe maybe but you know it seems to be you know very nutritious and health restoring and i don't know i mean hagar's the mayor maybe that's his way of helping the homeless maybe he says uh hey people (laughs) Let's put these uh, delicious, nutritious foods in all of the trash cans around the city as a way to help out the homeless population. And maybe that's why it's all in there. I don't know. (laughs) That is quite an elaborate backstory. Hey, there's no proof I'm wrong. It's certainly possible. But the other thing I like about this game is that, you know, much like Smash Brothers, is it has this very wide variety of stuff. And that was one of the things that made the game, you know, really more than just your traditional beat-em-up. I mean, they could have just said, okay, we're going to put a barbecue in there to restore a lot of health and, you know, a piece of fruit to restore a small amount of health. But just adding this variety really adds to the game. I mean, you know, beat-em-ups are known for being monotonous, but by adding in just like this semi-random assortment of foodstuffs (laughs) to restore your health, you know, there's hamburgers and steaks and chickens and, again, curry, pizza, sushi, a pineapple, (laughs) a stick of gum, bananas, just having all that different stuff in there you know, to restore your health, I think just adds to the fun and the variety of it all. And again, it's just hilarious to eat out of a trash can. too. Yeah, and I love that it looks elaborate and it's like on a plate. (laughs) That's right. This ain't just some uh, half-rotted turkey that someone threw into the garbage. It is there on a serving plate. (laughs) My favorite, I think, is the ham where it just has a bone through the middle. Yeah, yeah, the barbecue. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep, that's the one to get. Mm -hmm. Pretty much restores your entire life bar. Tasty. And healthy. This looks like something out of the Flintstones. <laughs> yeah, that too. But, I mean, that's how your uh, pro wrestling mayors like it. The meat right off the bone. <laughs> and that brings us to number one. Our top game on the list is Castlevania with its wall meat. <laughs> now, this one really has always kind of disturbed me. I mean, who doesn't love just, you know, going through some decrepit, ancient castle and smashing through a wall and finding a nice roast hidden behind that wall and eating it. (laughs) It's like, it raises a lot of questions. Like when was that even made? 
When was that prepared? Who prepared it? Was it a ghoul? Was it a ghost? Was it Dracula? And why did he hide it in the wall? But I do wonder, what kind of meat is it? Well, according to the manual, officially it is a pork chop. (laughs) But it doesn't look anything like a pork chop. No, no, it really does look like a turkey leg or a piece of beef or something. But officially, it is a pork chop in most of the games. (laughs) However... In the manual to Castlevania III Dracula's Curse, they claim it is a leg of a werewolf. Whoa. Which, for me, raises even more questions because, (laughs) like, you know, when you think about that, that kind of means that, you know, when it's no longer a full moon (laughs) and it changes Mm -hmm. back, does that mean that Trevor just, like, ate a regular dude's leg? Yeah, that's gnarly. Yeah, I kind of think it does. (laughs) Now I kind of want to see fan art of that. (laughs) nonetheless nonetheless you cannot get more classic and iconic than the castlevania wall meat regardless of its dubious origins and there's been all kinds of other you know castlevania foods you know through the years in the uh, metroid style castlevania games have been all kinds of stuff to acquire from uh, roasts to vegetables to all sorts of stuff but yeah i mean that wall meat you know that is a true video game classic (laughs) Yeah, you can kind of explain the final fight meat. You kind of can't explain the Castlevania wall meat. (laughs) Oh, just wait for my Castlevania wall meat fanfic. I'll think up something. (laughs) Um, hmm. Please look forward to it. I will. Well, I don't know about you, Pete, but this big topic has made me very hungry. I think it is time for me to go off and maybe have some dinner. Yeah, me too. But before we wrap up this episode of the show, I do believe we have time for one more thing. And that, believe it or not, is a dramatic reading. You don't say. Yes, it is. This time, it is from the pages of Nintendo Power Volume 8. It is the news article about Captain N, the Game Master. Last Issue we told you about a television program based on the Mario Brothers. There is another television show coming your way, based on Nintendo and licensee characters. It's titled Captain N, Game Master, and concerns 15-year-old Kevin Keane, a high school student and power player from Northridge, California, who is magically summoned into his television to Nintendo Land. Princess Lana, who rules Nintendo Land, had gathered together the forces of light, the heroes of the different areas which comprise Nintendo Land. Together, they invoke the power of the orb and summon a champion from another world, Kevin, to fight the League of Darkness. As Kevin is pulled into his TV set, his loyal dog Duke faithfully follows his master and is also transported to Nintendo Land. Among the characters Kevin meets, power players will recognize Simon Belmont, Castlevania, Pit, Kid Icarus, and Mega Man, as well as the Eggplant Wizard, Kid Icarus, King Hippo, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, and the cunning Dr. Wily, Mega Man. However, we suspect Captain Ant will find his greatest challenge will be the diabolical mother brain, Metroid. <laughs> this program, new to NBC's Saturday morning fall schedule, is produced by those wizards at Deke who are responsible for the wonderfully successful Pee-wee's Playhouse and the cartoon version of ALF, (laughs) as well as the Super Mario Bros. Super Show. Mm. The show is scheduled to start September 9th. 
check your local listings. Wow. Doesn't that, like, paint a specific time in a specific place? <laughs> yeah, that was definitely back in the day. It's hard to believe that it started like that. Yeah. It's interesting that they call it Nintendo Land. Yeah. Which, obviously, I know more as a Wii U game <laughs> than a location in Captain and the Game Master. I believe the final version of it, it was called Video Land, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, you're right. I, I think. I'm pretty sure. I feel like Nintendo would have made them change it to not be Nintendo Land since uh, a lot of the games, you know, were not Nintendo games. You know, they were visiting terrible games like Bayou Billy and stuff like that instead. So that was probably the reason for that change. Also, with the whole Forces of Light thing, it really does kind of sound like a precursor to uh, Super Smash Brothers. I mean, I've always kind of thought that with, oh, you know, they're combining all these different series into <laughs> one and how that sort of is very Smash Brothers-esque. But uh, yeah, reading about it being described as the forces of light like that, you know, really makes you think that way with the uh, latest Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. Yeah, it really does. It's funny. Nonetheless, it does not stop the show from being any less terrible. <laughs> yeah, these kids have no idea what they're in store for. <laughs> no, no, we didn't. They did not nearly convey <laughs> the awfulness that was in store. <laughs> I just miss Simon Belmont's voice. Oh, well, there's always the DVDs. <laughs> Anyway, that does it for this week. As always, you can find us at powerpros.podbean.com, and you can follow us at powerprospod on both Facebook and Twitter. You can follow me, The Hoff, on Twitter at ChrisTheHoff, and you can find Pete at BurlyRedYeti. You can email us at powerprospod at gmail.com, and if you like the podcast, of course, it'd be great if you told your friends about us. Thanks for listening, everybody. For myself, Pete Mashad. Hasta luego. And our good friend, the Cyborg Ninja. Make me feel alive again. We will see you next time.